0: As we record this episode the week of halloween is upon us ooh. So, mm-hmm, ooh. so i thought it would be fun to throw it back to an infamous halloween disaster <gasps> one that has sparked multiple hollywood remakes and has no doubt contributed to the collective sense of skepticism about the media we consume even almost 100 years after it happened you might think you know the full story behind it but it turns out it wasn't what it seemed this week I'm going to tell you about Orson Welles' radio play, The War of the Worlds, and the chaos that it never caused. Oh! Uh, I think I know where this is going. Oh, it's a disaster. I'm so intrigued. Uh, just wait, it gets worse. We are just the masters of disasters, aren't we? Calamity
1: Janes. Welcome back to Calamity Janes, our weekly disaster podcast where two anything but plain Janes talk disaster, calamity, best friendship, and everything in between. In between. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Madison. (laughs) And I'm Bailey. And we're going to get down to it. And uh, I'll apologize. I'm getting over a cold that my daughter gave me. A real gnarly cold. So so... I'm really... I'm very very apologetic for what's happening to my nose right now if
0: i miss cutting out any of her snorts (laughs) sniffles hacks apologies in advance it's
1: a miracle i'm alive today uh truly but i just want to say that i'm sorry i
0: know i don't sound good you sound wonderful moo thanks for being here with us today you're a real trooper and we appreciate it because we need a disaster this week wouldn't miss it for the world
1: all right bailey hit me with that good disaster
0: Let's do it. So, if you're like me, you might only be familiar with the 2005 Steven Spielberg version of The War of the Worlds. Oh, Oh, yes. Where Tom Cruise, divorced father struggling to connect with his kids, suddenly has to rescue his family from destructive alien pods that are sent to Earth via bolts of lightning. You know, that old chestnut.
1: Dakota Fanning.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Oh, my God. I inhaled too hard. Got too excited. I'm very excited about this. It happens. Well, you might be wondering, how did this translate to a radio play that allegedly fooled people into thinking actual aliens were invading the world? Well, let's talk about the events of that Halloween, technically October 30th night in 1938. I think that's called Mischief Night. Is it really?
1: I think Ryan told me in the Midwest that that was Mischief Night, and that was like when teenagers would go out and do... Really annoying things to their. That
0: sounds sinister. That sounds I purge-like. Know. I know. Yeah. No, also, I'm, I'm given how Fourth of July was in your area, I oh would maybe like take that seriously.
1: Yeah, that's true. Fourth of July was like the purge in my neighborhood.
0: It, there were no rules? There
1: were <laughs> no, no rules. There were fingers and... on the ground. There was fire. There were explosions. It was horrible.
0: I I would maybe stay in October thirtieth. If I remember,
1: <laughs> that's a good idea. Thank that's, you for uh, bringing that up. Gonna, yes, I'm going to take you that advice.
0: Betcha. <laughs> well, in the summer of 1938, CBS Radio tapped screenwriter, actor, producer, and director Orson Welles to create a 13-week series of live radio dramas called the Mercury Theater on Air. 13 weeks. 13 weeks, and it actually ran longer than that. That's
1: commitment. So it was like, but each week is a different story. It's not the same story. Okay.
0: Yes, yes. These included radio drama adaptations of famous works like Dracula, A Tale of Two Cities, The Count of Monte Cristo, Treasure Island, etc. Very cool. Yes. Uh, And these productions were very cutting edge for the time because they were live. But because of that, they required the coordination of not just actors, but realistic and well-timed sound effects. For instance, in their production of Dracula, the sound of a hammer pounding a melon sent chills down even the studio audience's spine as it so eerily reproduced the sound of a stake being driven into the heart of an undead body. Oh my
1: goodness. Okay, so they're doing it live. It's not... Yeah. Okay. That definitely adds to the drama.
0: hmm All of the sound effects, all the sound design, so if there was music, sound effects, different actors, you know, it was all done live in a studio. Oh my gosh, that's so cool.
1: Yeah. I have always loved watching the videos of, um, I don't know if they're like sound engineers or technically what their job description is, but the people who make, who do things with weird objects to make the sounds in movies. Oh,
0: Foley. Yeah. Foley artists. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's so cool to me. That's, you have to have such a different type of creativity to be able to do something like that. That's so impressive.
0: Mm-hmm. And to think about the kind of rehearsals that went in, you just, I don't know, when I hear the radio, I think very much, oh, spontaneous and off the cuff, but these were des- produced and designed sound plays. So they had to rehearse timing and the effects and all that kind of, it's, I, th- it's like podcasts on steroids, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. i I love some like narrative fiction style horror podcasts. And so I kind of want to find the original recording of this because I think it'd be pretty good. It's got to be out there
1: somewhere, right?
0: I would. I would think so for as infamous as it is, I would have to imagine.
1: That sounds so cool. Okay, I'm ready. Let's hear more. Okay.
0: Well, one of the stories they adapted which was H.G. Wells's War of the Worlds. Not to be confused, I guess I always thought Orson Welles wrote War of the Worlds, but no, it's H two different Wells's. H.G. Wells wrote War of the Worlds. Okay, you Orson might have to Wells. cut this out.
1: Orson Wells was married to Vivian Lee. Really? Right, um, I thought no, that's Laurence Olivier.
0: Yes, <laughs> sorry, yes, yes, my, yes, bad. Yes. my bad, my bad. I was like, well, I mean, I mean, you know how it goes. Multiple, you get, you, you marry, you divorce, you live, laugh, love.
1: Honestly, I think it's because in my week with Marilyn, the actor yes. who plays him looks really similar to. I have no clue what movie it would have been in, but Orson Welles had. Yeah. I think maybe the actors look similar in my mind. I also could be totally wrong. I, I don't know. I got them mixed up. Please don't well, include that. That doesn't make me look good.
0: I mean, I don't know. Let's, this is a disaster about misinformation. Let's just perpetuate it.
1: Fantastic. Okay. Vivian Lee,
0: Orson Welles. Yes. They were not married. Not married. Not well, married. that we know of. Pretty sure they
1: weren't. Okay, go ahead. Never know. <laughs>
0: Okay, so the plan was that two-thirds of the production would be in the style of a live broadcast detailing an ongoing invasion, destruction, and defeat of the aliens, and the last third would be a monologue and dialogue. Orson actually said the idea to present the story as a live account of real events came from a BBC radio host, Ronald Knox, who simulated a live report of a revolution breaking out in the streets of London a couple years back.
1: Oh, very cool. So this had been done before. Okay. It sounds like a good idea. It sounds like exactly the kind of thing that we would be interested in.
0: Exactly. Keeping people entertained, gripped in their seats, you know, for a little um, entertainment. Mm -hmm.
1: Aliens typically aren't my jam, but I could get into this for sure. It also kind of reminds me of the Hawaiian Missile Crisis, too.
0: A little bit like that. (laughs) It is a little bit like that. A little bit of a false alarm. Yeah. So the production was planned. Actors were hired and the effects were staged. Orson Welles' production of War of the Worlds began at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on October 30th, 1938. The program actually begins with a paraphrased version of the novel that had been updated to contemporary times and conditions because the novel itself was set in the U.K., had city names that were, you know, not in the U.S., and so they updated to New Jersey. They just made it more current with all that kind of stuff, made it more realistic. Everything bad happens in New Jersey. Well, this is no exception. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just have have that line from Hamilton in my head: "Everything's legal in New Jersey."
0: Oh yeah,
1: just like alien
0: invasion, alien invasion <sighs> duels, <laughs> gambling is gambling probably legal in New Jersey. I don't well, know. Gambling's Maybe. legal like everywhere. So, well, yeah, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, in Texas you can't gamble, but you cross that border into Oklahoma, and uh, I guess know, I didn't, didn't just think like... about that. Yeah. Wow. I just always associate you with gambling because you make such a point of doing it every time we're together. <laughs> I, you know what, someone has to take, there's luck to be had out there, and someone has to find it, and yeah. i be that person. Well, no
1: one wants to gamble with me, because no, I'm- you have the worst <laughs> luck. <laughs> such horrible luck. If I am at a craps table, get
0: away. I
1: know. I, I have, like, this dark cloud that follows me. <laughs> yeah, you do. It's really know. bad. <laughs> I've lost so much oh, of other people's do. money, never my own, because I know how bad I am, but people yeah. feel bad when I'm there, and they're like, it's okay, here, take some of this,
0: and and I immediately lose it. Immediately. I mean, yeah. How many times have, we, have mom and I been up and been like, oh, well, here's here's some money because we're still going strong. So we'll stay at this table or this machine or whatever. So here's some money. And you come back and you're like, OK, I'm five minutes later. <laughs> I'm done.
1: Here's my voucher for thirty four cents. <laughs> I honestly yeah. think the first time you guys took me gambling. I got like $300 from everyone. You guys like crowdsourced my gambling experience and I came away with 34 cents and I only played the slots.
0: That sounds about right. That does sound about right. Um, I also remember you came, I was at a roulette table doing pretty decently, (laughs) and you walked up and you just lost it all. and like Immediately. Yeah, immediately. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm still going strong, so I'll see you later. Gambling is not
1: for me. That's not a bad thing.
0: No, and you know your limits, and that's the important thing.
1: That is true. I mean, if you're going to enjoy yourself gambling, you need to walk in there thinking you're going to leave with nothing you need to try to make it last you try to have a good time enjoy the overwhelming sounds and the horrific smoky smells and just get the assault on all of your senses visual exactly smell yeah okay i don't know how we got here but new jersey don't ever go gambling with me (laughs) it's a horrible experience
0: our mom on the other hand oh she's a lucky duck (laughs) She's someone you want to be around when you gamble. Yes, definitely. She is, has ridiculous luck. Mm-hmm. Mm. hmm But anyway. <laughs> uh, this, back, back to, bring it back to New Jersey. <sighs> okay. Here we are. Well, actually, technically, we're in uh, the CBS broadcast station talking about New Jersey. Sure. The simulation of live events begins with a weather report and then a musical act. This was supposed to be an orchestra reportedly playing from a live ballroom. The programming, however, was interrupted with breaking news that a, quote, gas explosion has just taken place on Mars. And an interview with a reporter and a Princeton-based astronomy professor is arranged to discuss the implications of the explosion. Is there life on Mars? What technology might they have? But don't worry, the professor dismisses any fears the reporter has. I already have questions and concerns
1: for, okay, 1938, yeah. you say? I do say. Okay, so this is the year, what, before Wizard of Oz came out? What? Yeah. Oh. <sighs> did the two correlate? I'm just trying to place this in, uh, like, yes. what is going on. <clears throat> what did we know about Mars at the time? How did we. D- okay, you might know this. How. Okay, I'm getting overwhelmed with all of the unknowns in this situation. Did, were we even capable of knowing that a gas explosion happened on Mars in the 30s?
0: Yeah. Bottom line is not as much, not nearly as much was known to the broader population, and it certainly wasn't Googleable, right? I mean, it's not like you mm-hmm. could call up. You didn't have the internet. You couldn't really even. You ask barely your local, even had phones. <laughs> exactly. Barely had phones. You couldn't ask your local. Astronomer. You no, know, astronomer <laughs> the the town town, wasn't. Exa-
1: the town astronomer There's wasn't really at the ready. Telescope per yes. town. You all
0: had to line yes. up to see it. If you're lucky, they didn't even have that. We don't even have that now. <laughs> no, I know. We used a um, telescope. We did. Didn't know how to use it, but we had it. um It was great for bird watching. <laughs> oh, was it? I
1: think it was in your room most of the time.
0: It was. It was.
1: Astro nerd.
0: I ended up just looking at the like golfers on the golf course and creeper i mean (laughs) do you know how cold it was in south dakota i was not taking that thing out and looking up i thought this was in texas no oh yeah yeah i guess we had it down there too yeah because i specifically remember
1: at one point dad woke you up to look at there was a comet that was passing through so this was like 2001 or 2002 there was a comet that was passing through and I woke up livid that I didn't get to (laughs) see the
0: comet (laughs) so upset well that memory is not real strong in my mind so (laughs) I guess you didn't miss out on much oh my gosh
1: okay continue so this fake astronomer comes on and is like yes don't worry about it it's fine
0: Yes, he's like, don't worry about it. It's cool, whatever. The music programming resumes, but is then interrupted by an announcement that an alien craft has landed in Grover's Mill, New Jersey. Of all places. I know. New Jersey of all places. Although,
1: to their credit, I am sick and tired of big disasters happening in L.A., New York City,
0: San Francisco. Well, and with UFOs, it's always in the middle of nowhere. You're like, why does it happen in the desert or in the mountains of West Virginia why why yeah okay so here Point Orson Wells yes a point yes. in his favor uh the reporter and the professor are dispatched to the landing site where the professor admits he doesn't know what he's looking at but starts speculating and describing a crowd that is gathering police officers approach the craft waving a white truce flag but then are entirely obliterated with a heat ray yeah Things escalate quickly, very quickly. Okay,
1: so the entire crowd is just obliterated. No,
0: just the officers that approach with a white truce flag to the the craft.
1: Well, how ignorant were they to think that the aliens would immediately know that a white
0: truce? Okay, all right. There are lots of question marks. Let's just forge on. Okay, sorry, sorry. They then go between spurts. The station goes between spurts of musical performance commentary from the reporter and professor and a police captain that is reassuring the public that everything's under control because martial law has been declared and a militia is on it until the militia is obliterated and then they return <laughs> <laughs> then they return to studio commentary where they declare a mass evacuation event where refugees are clogging the highways it escalates so fast oh i can't gosh. i cannot emphasize how escal- how how quickly it escalates
1: oh my gosh Yes, yes. Okay, I'm starting to understand why this, okay. I'm trying really hard to put myself in my 1938 little loafers to see how this would have felt.
0: Yes. (laughs) But all of this sounds ridiculous right now in the way it escalates, but can you imagine listening to it in a produced, you know, if you're, you're hearing... What you think are actual um, hosts, radio hosts or professionals, you know, kind of coming in and out with this music, the breaking, you know, breaking news, all this kind. And people are in character like they are committing. Yeah, I
1: definitely get that. Well, and the sound quality at the time, I mean, everything had that little tiny bit of like crackly static over it. Yeah. And that automatically makes things creepier, even if it's just. What they were living with back then, everything <laughs> was just a the little way bit things scary. were. <laughs> so I can only imagine. And uh, okay, I'm sure it was really, really terrifying at the time, especially when uh, we don't even know what's coming out of this thing. But all of a sudden, just psh, heat ray, just yeah, vaporize all of our police officers. Okay, yep. And yeah. then what does he think martial law is? Good. Okay, that's fine. I'm not, I, I, I don't. can't get into it. Keep going.
0: Yep, we had this militia until you didn't. <laughs> Meanwhile, multiple other pods are descending upon the earth, five total, spelling the end times for us earthlings. Okay. Okay. All right. This is where the simulated portion of the broadcast ends, and it's with a reporter talking about the carnage he's witnessing until he himself is engulfed in encroaching black smoke, and all listeners hear is the chaos of the city behind him. Okay, that would be very scary. Yes. However, very quickly after it, there is an intermission where someone literally says, and I quote, You are listening to a CBS presentation of Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on air in an original dramatization of The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. The performance will continue after a brief intermission. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Okay, so now it's just back on the public. It's just their fault. And I forgot to mention this earlier, they did have a disclaimer at the top of the show as well. Like, it was clear at the beginning of the show Mm -hmm. that this was a show. Well, And this is the 13th week that it had been... (laughs) Regularly scheduled programming. (laughs) Yes. And granted, not all of them were this kind of live-action style of broadcast, Mm -hmm. but, like, this is very clearly the hour where they storytell. Oh, my goodness.
1: Okay. All right. All right. I'm trying to give them credit. I'm trying to imagine how freaky it would be you come home from work a couple minutes late and you're like I can't wait to listen to this thing I've been listening for 13 weeks this is so great (laughs) and then you're like oh my god what is going on people are being vaporized there's this orchestra (laughs) in the background and okay and then you get so freaked out that you turn it off and you're like what do we do I'm trying to figure
0: out where this is going And this is also a style of broadcast that you have likely never heard before. It's the first, I think, certainly the first that has happened in the United States. So you've never heard someone come on the radio, a place where you typically are either listening to news or you are hearing like a variety show, like the biggest, we'll get into this later, but like one of the bigger competing shows was, you know, a comedian and a ventriloquist and like... It's lighthearted stuff. A ventriloquist on I don't actually radio. know. I don't understand the logistics of it. I don't. I didn't look into <laughs> it for this. That would have been a rabbit hole that I did not have the time for. But yes, they describe this man as a ventriloquist on a popular radio station. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's, that's a mystery and maybe even a disaster for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm with you. I'm here. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So... We come back from our intermission and the last part of the show is the professor who has survived coming back on oh. mm-hmm, looking for any survivors over the radio. Which could be creepy. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so I thought he was meant to be
1: vaporized, like initially No no. Just the oh, militia the, the police who were just okay, I'm yes. sorry, that is the second The militia time I made that mistake.
0: all of the protectors were vaporized. Okay.
1: Sorry, my bad, my bad. The
0: real critical character in all of this, the astronomy professor, <laughs> survived. <laughs> So he's surfing the radio waves for any survivors, and he finds one delusional guy who wants to use Martian technology to rule both species, which, I mean, drink big, I guess. Well, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. There, I guess there's this exchange between the professor and this guy, and this guy is like tinfoil hat level. I'm in it to win it. I'm going to... I'm going to be the one who actually dominates both humanity and alien kind with their technology. So he
1: thinks he's going to learn their technology
0: on the fly? Just, okay. All right. Ambitious. Can't fault the guy for his ambition. But quickly, the astronomer's like, bye. Okay, I can't deal with this right now. So he ditches that guy and ultimately ends the show reporting that the aliens have just died. (laughs) Oh, the Earth germs that they had no immunity <laughs> against took them out. Yes, an alien species that was intelligent enough to not only get from Mars to Earth, but also bring their military, didn't think ahead enough to pack some protection and so succumb to something super lame like pink eye. Wait, what's the time span? What's the... Uh, oh, The duration of all of this, that's my next line. Good for you, Moom. The duration of all of this, from Martian gas explosion to the pink eye death, was 40 minutes. Okay, I'm sorry. You just made up pink eye, right? Yes.
1: (laughs) There was time for poop to be involved,
0: for for infection to set in. Okay. But I was like that. No, it was something vague, like okay, um, you know, germ. You
1: know, I, I got you. I understand. I mean, it doesn't make sense, but I get what you're saying. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, yes. I'm gonna go negative point not against Orson Wells on this one. I'm gonna.
0: But they had to fit it in the time slot. No, I no, I get it. I. I understand. How are they to know that it actually takes seven months to for a craft to get from Earth to Mars? Oh my gosh. I have to say I'm a little skeptical. Good. As you <laughs> should be.
1: I'm that is a positive
0: reaction, I, I mean, think.
1: It would be more plausible for them to say
0: sorry, I'm so confused.
1: <laughs> How bad do
0: I sound right now? Only when you just give it a wet snort in and then it's, yeah,
1: yeah. I'm trying so hard.
0: I am made of snot. So in our own twist of events, Madison has just turned into a ball of mucus. She's just like, that's all she is right now. Oh my God, you're disgusting. Sorry wheezy with that timeline
1: i would have expected you to say like they didn't account for like having to breathe nitrogen and oxygen or something like but no it germs
0: germs right. um okay. and that was without a pandemic a panini going on at the time <laughs> they weren't in is a panorama they were not in a porsche de rossi <laughs> no um so that's why that's why I was like it was probably something super lame like the flu or like pink eye or like guy oh, yeah okay or this cold that my baby yes, gave or me the gnarly cold that you have you probably single germidly killed the aliens <laughs> you're welcome okay so to say there was no panic wouldn't be true uh, there are firsthand okay because back to back it up in case Moo you said you weren't. Mm-mm. Familiar with, like, the the whole story, the lore around this, so if anybody else is out there, um, the point is that after, supposedly, after this broadcast was over, it was chaos. Mayhem in the streets. People thought this thing was real. There were actually, like, stampedes and riots or, like, people, people panicking, right? Acting on that panic. That is mm-hmm. the reputation that this broadcast has and that has become historically Known. And we'll find out that that is not necessarily true. But to say there's no shocking. panic. shocking, Exactly. To say there was no panic is also not true. So let's talk about that first. Okay. There are firsthand accounts of employees working in the production who said police, as this broadcast is happening, trickled into the studio throughout production because they ultimately wanted to bust in and put an, an end to the broadcast. Because okay. Because they said they were receiving... Phone calls some ask sure. people asking, like, is this real? Uh-huh. What's going on? A producer said he received a call from the mayor of a, quote, Midwestern town oh, saying that there God. were mobs in the streets. For a second, you said mm. mobs in the streets? No. <laughs> moms everywhere. <laughs> their pants were so high. <laughs> and so was their anxiety. This was 1938. So their waists were cinched and they had casseroles. <laughs> and they were miffed miffed, peeved. No, mobs in okay. the streets. So that was kind of like indicative to them that oh, this isn't just, you know, local um hysteria or you know local response. It's it's gone national. Um telephone switchboards, at CBS lit up with people calling in, some making it through to the next hour of programming where the host reassured them that nothing was happening and then was later accused of covering it up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, And newspapers were getting wind that there were instances of nationwide panic, so they assumed this indicated a much larger response and descended on the studio for a press conference, where they asked questions like, well, how many deaths have there been? And what did they know about a fatal stampede? Or how many corpses must be lining the ditches of the highways after mass traffic jams? (sighs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so this is where it seems our written history of the event might diverge with the actual reaction to the broadcast. Wow. I didn't know that that could happen. Crazy. Yeah. Turns out, yes. uh, In the three weeks after the broadcast, 12,500 articles were written about... Oh my gosh. Yes. Written about this talking about the mass hysteria it created... But retrospective studies have yielded some interesting and certainly contradictory findings. Okay. Shocking. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So to everyone who thought that the War of the Worlds really did cause all of this chaos, I am so sorry to shatter that illusion. I, I'm
1: just shattered. Here I, I am, know. a I've, million I've mucusy built you pieces up. on the ground.
0: Yeah, I know. I built you up only to knock you down. What a wild ride. Oh, we're not done yet. good. Actually, it's it's all pretty tame from here, but I will explain to you um, what likely the reality of the reaction was. Perfect. Good. I need to know. Yes. So first of all, only 2,000 letters were mailed to the FCC to complain about the broadcast. And of those, only 27% came from frightened listeners. And of those who were frightened, even fewer still said they actually left their homes in a panic. So, there's that. And also, 2000 is a relatively low volume of letters to receive compared to other controversial programs at the time. So, even just looking back at written records, you know, it it didn't make a huge splash, even as far as formal complaints go. Yeah.
1: Wait, are you going to tell me some other controversial shows at the time?
0: Um, they're not, no, because Wikipedia didn't tell me. Oh, I was going to get really excited. (laughs) No, um... There's a ventriloquist radio show that's pretty (laughs) controversial (laughs) because I'm not real sure how it works.
1: (laughs) Okay. But, yeah, 2000 across the
0: country. Right. The country. Yeah. Not so bad. A study done by an organization called The Radio Project found that only a third of the frightened listeners, and I'm assuming this is in their study. This is not from the official, like, 2000... Letters to the FCC actually understood the threat to be alien. What's interesting is because of the political climate at the time, some people who turned in late thought they were Germans invading the U.S. Oh no! Yeah, with their heat guns. Yes, with their (laughs) with their heat guns, and then they just died of germs. (laughs) Apparently. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that makes it so much better. (laughs) Yeah, died of yeah, flew in on their spacecraft. And then died of the germs. Um, That's one point. Next uh, is that night, 5,000 households were surveyed. Only 2% of them said they were listening to a radio play. And no one said they were listening to a news broadcast. So of the people surveyed, no one thought they were listening to the news. Most of them said they were listening to the competing and more popular program, the Chase and Sanborn Hour, which is the radio ventriloquist. I'm having a
1: really hard time focusing on your story because I must know more <laughs> about the radio
0: ventriloquist. I am so sorry. I keep teasing you with this. I know nothing about it. What's the it.
1: point of involving the doll?
0: Is I, it? <laughs> I don't, I
1: don't Leave know. Leave him
0: out of it. He's innocent. I don't know. <laughs> But it also sounds like they had live studio audiences. Oh, okay, again, but it's not like it was a big audience. So you're literally putting on this physical performance for what fifty to maybe a hundred people, and then the rest of the nation just gets to hear your voice go like this. <laughs> and right,
1: like <laughs> I mean, it would definitely make sense for there to be at least or like a live audience or a recording, a visual recording going on. Yeah, that
0: is just still so fascinating. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh my gosh. And maybe here's, this could be on me. The actor who did this was a ventriloquist, so I could also just be mischaracterizing the nature of the show. Maybe there was no ventriloquism. It just happened to be that the actor was a ventriloquist. <laughs> I like our but, version better. Yes. The, I do know that there is ventriloquism involved somewhere. I just okay. don't know what. Yes. And it was a very popular show. So Interesting. I also just forget that there
1: there was a time when everyone huddled around the radio at the end of the day yeah and did that instead god that sounds boring yep that was the main source of entertainment but here we are huddled around our speakers listening to podcasts hey full exactly circle.
0: we have <laughs> come back. full circle and talking about how we would listen to a podcast that did this exact thing so it's like you know what are you gonna do yeah that's true maybe they were onto something maybe the most common response was said to be contacting people who had heard this and were concerned contacting local newspapers or police to confirm the events for instance some new jersey precincts say their call volume is up almost 40 percent, and this is confirmed with with many precincts you know across across the nation well new jersey makes sense exactly yeah but people are pointing out Calling someone to conf- to verify the validity of what they're hearing is actually a very logical reaction. very. And when they hear that it's not real, you know, it's not the overreaction that, that was reported of people clogging highways and rioting and stampeding. And so, yes, it might have elicited a response from more people than they thought who, who assumed this might be real. But if the most extreme thing they did was call to verify the information... <laughs> It's not all that sensational. Yeah.
1: That's true. I mean, if I heard something so shockingly I guess not realistics maybe not the right word, but if it really it, the production value sounds like it was excellent. Yeah. So something realistic like that, I would I I get that reaction. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so someone pointing that out to be like, you know, there weren't um, they checked hospitals, and they're like, there weren't a lot of people like checking in because of panic or injury from oh panic gosh. or you, know, yeah. So they're like, there, there just isn't a whole lot of data outside of what is reported that <laughs> yeah. points to this being the mass hysteria that people think it was. Wait, did people just check into the hospital when they felt panicked?
1: Was that a thing that you could just like go to the hospital and be like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel
0: scared. Hold me, maybe. <laughs> Or like any drugs. I need. I don't. I don't know. I don't either.
1: Just when you said checking in for panic, it's like, what do you just walk in and go?
0: Or oh if, my gosh. if you're like you're fleeing, you're on the highway yeah. and you get trampled, stampede. You know, there wasn't like mm-hmm. mass in, injury or casualty. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Or or just people saying, "I need a Xanax, please." <laughs> Yeah. In looking back, it is almost entirely newspaper reporting that covers the impacts of the broadcast and also criticizes radio as a medium for the ability to deceive in the way that it did. A pot Mm -hmm. meat kettle. So historians speculate that this could be the result of the newspaper industry pouncing on this as an opportunity to discredit radio since the medium had been siphoning off their ad revenue, which was a big deal in general, but this is also the tail end of the Great Depression, so there wasn't a whole lot of advertising money to go around, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (sighs) Those pesky newspapers. I know, and they would have gotten away with it, too, if it hadn't (laughs) been for those meddling children.
1: Meddling kids, Whatever. You were the Scooby-Doo lover. Uh, still am.
0: Uh, it also doesn't help that Orson Welles over the years has fueled the fire a little bit. He has made conflicting statements on whether or not he intended to deceive anyone. At first, right, CBS was like, we're going to need you to go out and make this very scripted <laughs> statement about how you never intended to induce panic, okay? Which he does. Uh-huh. Um, but then the more he's asked about it over the years, um, it's cheeky and yes, he would add a wink and a smile to his statements. And he even once did say that maybe he did want to fool people to get them thinking critically about the media they consumed. And so it's like, is that just something that over the years after thinking about it and like looking at the reaction, he wants to stay
1: relevant. Yeah. That's what I was doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. I mean, that sounds like something Orson Welles would do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it could have been, it could have, who, who knows, but just to go back and look at how, you know, the actual reaction to the best that you can based on records that are available, look at the news reporting on it and then think, wow, this, we really blew this out of proportion.
1: (laughs) That is so interesting.
0: I had no idea that this did and didn't happen. It both (laughs) did and did not happen. So that is the war of the world's disaster that wasn't. That's fascinating. What an excellent story, Bailey. I thought that was kind of fun, kind of relevant. Think about this on Mischief Night as you go out. Yeah,
1: I hope that I didn't butcher that retelling because <laughs> me, I, me too. I might have just made something up.
0: And <laughs> What if you just start a nationwide, what if you start a nationwide trend and incite all sorts of violence and mischief? I do my best. It's what I do. I try to do
1: every day. <laughs> yes, that is that is truly your character, Madison. <laughs> really. Just stirring the pot. Oh, my gosh. Now you have me paranoid about what's going to happen
0: in my neighborhood on Halloween. <laughs> Sorry, but that is the first thing I thought of. I was like, oh, if that is true, your neighborhood, it must be lively. Fourth of July was like
1: the eighth purge movie or whatever the political one was.
0: Yeah. It was so scary. It it was wild and loud and dangerous. Sensory overload, danger, danger fire. Yeah. So not good that oof, oof. Yeah. What
1: a fascinating story, Bailey. You did such a good job.
0: Thank you so much, Moo. Yeah, I was really excited about this because I had grown up thinking that this was a much bigger deal than it was, only to find out, (gasps) not, twas not. still my favorite meme ever. Twas I who set the house ablaze.
1: (laughs) It never fails to make me feel better. (sighs) It's true. It's so true. It's a good one.
0: Well, twas I who ruined the war of the world's disaster for <laughs> you. And I'm sorry if I did. Not, a, No, I'm not.
1: Well, it does sound really similar to, again, I think it was in the 70s that the BBC aired what was supposed to be like a documentary of a haunted house. And there was, they set up a whole bunch of things and people called in and were like, oh my gosh, this place is haunted. This is mm-hmm. terrifying. And people have like heart attacks and panic attacks and things were awful. And I'm sure it probably wasn't that
0: bad yeah or uh didn't that happen with Blair Witch like people were like this is real oh that's what I did with Blair Witch because I was like nine when I watched yeah Yeah. anytime there's like an it's so cool to look at innovative uses of mediums into the point where it like it is so or like paranormal activity I was convinced that I was haunted walking out even though it was like super low budget minimal effects I was possessed. You could not tell me that I wasn't going to see a demon.
1: Was it uh, Colleen who had to sleep on your floor after she watched it?
0: No, we have talked about this. You've already brought up this very embarrassing <laughs> moment. Twas I who had to sleep <laughs> on the floor because it twas I that was so scared after Paranormal Activity that I went into my roommate's bedroom and I slept on the floor because I had so convinced myself.
1: Paranormal Activity was like groundbreaking horror. It was very scary. It was. Um, and, s- and again. It- so is Blair Witch in my opinion. I know that <clears throat> Blair Witch kind of gets pooped on these days, but I thought that was a very scary movie. I haven't been brave enough to watch it since I was like 9 or 10. You were allowed to watch it when you were 9 or 10? Um okay, we had a mom who worked and Bailey, you were in charge of me after school. Who do you think let me watch it? To-
0: I never it? even watched. <laughs> I never even watched it. I only very recently saw Blair Witch, so I'm not sure who you well, you allowed to me, me to watch it. I didn't allow Anything. I was. I wasn't even really home all that often. I would go to like dance after school. You. I, I very specifically remember watching it in
1: your bedroom. I remember the okay. orange walls. Yeah, with... because you
0: never <laughs> snuck into my room to do things that you weren't supposed to. You literally just told me the other day that you would take my sheets off my bed and run <laughs> around with them as a cape on your back. I had no idea you did that, but that was probably why my bed was so messy. That is not why your room was so messy.
1: Your room was disgusting because you are disgusting. I don't recall that. No. Empty Diet Coke cans everywhere. <laughs> Apple cores strewn about. No, that's not true. That's not true. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Uh, Bailey still sometimes forgets to bring her toothbrush with her on trips. What are you doing right now? What is this? What Maybe are we doing? The appeal of our podcast is the sisterly banter.
0: This is not banter. This is you telling my secrets. And for the record, my toothbrush and toothpaste are packed in my hospital bag.
1: So there, already. I'd hope so. What kind of impression do you want to make on this child? Okay,
0: well, I'm not due for three weeks, so I would have to say I think that is pretty good, okay? Get off my back about my toothbrush. Pretty par for the course. But I am proud of you. So bar is low. I also have very sensitive gums these days, and so I don't want to be anywhere without a super soft (laughs) toothbrush. I'm not going to lie. That That is something that age has taught me. You have grown wiser as you've just gotten so old. And my gums have receded and become very sensitive, so that has... Well, that's also probably because of all the Diet Coke and apples. No, it is because of tooth grinding. That too. Bailey's already had a gum graft.
1: Because <laughs> And I'm going
0: to have another one once this baby gets here. Why are you telling on me? Why? Why? So I don't get to do it anymore. It's been so long oh since I've gotten to do this. It's the annoying okay. little sister. I am shutting this down. Okay. You are a giant ball of mucus and no one wants to hear your congestion hacking all over the mic. Okay? Okay. Well, I think that's it for this episode because I can't hear you talk anymore about whatever is about to come out of your mouth. So Madison, sign us off spooky halloween that's not a sign off but yes it is halloween week we hope all of you have some spectacular haunts um while still staying safe get lots of candy but don't eat it all at once Or do. We're not going to tell you what to do. Or do. Who cares? It's Halloween. Like, you do you. But if you, uh, send us pictures of your Halloween costumes. Oh my god, send us a picture of your costume, especially if it's disaster-related, but even if it's not, send us a picture. And if you could do us a solid, whenever you knock on someone's door, instead of saying trick-or-treat, say, Calamity Janes! Just, like just some advertising if you could that would be amazing i mean you are
1: you are our best friend after all
0: it's true you are our best friend so we put a literal
1: show on for you every week it's the least you could do
0: it's the least you could do and we thank you so much for that
1: yes also after our last episode we got two more uh emails and i've yet to respond to them but thank you
0: so much again it makes us so happy It does, and and just because we don't respond to them right away, it doesn't mean we don't see them. We see them. We appreciate them. We thank you so, so stinking much. Yes, so
1: fun. So have an amazing Halloween, a safe Halloween, uh, and that's it. We'll talk to you guys next week. Goodbye. Bye.